0: This is the Dan Grasa Show on 98.7 ESPN. Of uh, the evening on this Friday night, Joe Leo, Chantel Rankin producing the program here on this Friday. You can get me on Twitter at Dan Grasa, G R A C A. First weekend of August is upon us, which means, well, among other things, you could start to maybe peek through the trees a little bit and see the start of the football season. Still another month away. Now, we got a little bit of a taste of it last night with the Jets and the Browns in the Hall of Fame game. We'll get to that in a little bit. But Giants, of course, going about their business at training camp out in East Rutherford. They're going to take the field a week from tonight, actually against the Detroit Lions in their preseason opener. They had a little bit of a scare involving one of their Surprised offensive lineman today with Evan Neal, who had to leave practice with a concussion. So you hope that that isn't anything too lengthy. And hopefully they don't take any cues from the Yankees medical staff on how they handle players with concussion or concussion-related syndromes, as we found out with Anthony Rizzo yesterday. But we'll get to all those things a little bit later on. Our good pal Rich Samini is going to join us. He, of course, covers the Jets for ESPN. He is in Canton. He took in that football game last night, and he's going to be there tomorrow For the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, where a couple of former Jet greats, Joe Klecko, Darrell Rivas, will be part of the class of 2023s. We'll be all over that tonight. And, of course, tomorrow morning we got a couple surprises for you here on our Saturday morning show, which will be heard from 9 to noon, as it is every Saturday right here on 98.7 ESPN. So not many of these 7 o'clock extravaganzas left for us for the remainder of the summer. I think we have this one and maybe like one more uh, before September. Well, you know what happens, but you know what? We'll still be hurt. No more vacations, I promise. No more vacations, no more trips, nothing like that planned. At least nothing now, knock on wood. You know, And I don't have anything in the cards. That's the God's honest truth. So we'll be here. We'll just be all over the place. So, you know, you'll know where to find me. Don't worry about that. But nevertheless, you know, we'll start with the game last night. Because, look, we carried the game right here on 98-7. And there's very, very little that you're going to get worked up over when you're talking about a preseason game. Certainly one like last night, which, I mean, my goodness, if you saw the inactive list when the game came out, or before the game even started between the Jets and the Browns, both of those teams collectively, it looked like a who's who. You know, not too many A-listers were on that field last night. In Canton, Ohio. And you know what? That's fine. That's the way it's supposed to be. Because the last thing that you would um, want to happen in the preseason, and especially in a game like last night, is somebody getting hurt. Somebody valuable that could potentially wreck your season. It's the last thing you want to have happen. And look, I'll be honest with you. Last night, at the end of the third quarter, when the lights went out in Canton, Ohio, or at least half of the lights, and they threw it back to Greg and myself in the studio. And we had to kind of fill a few minutes before we sent it back to Bob and Marty when we had no idea whether or not they were going to resume the game or not. I was shocked that they even went ahead and continued and played that fourth quarter. Not to say that I wanted it played or not played, but what I just got done saying – It's the preseason. The game has no consequences whatsoever. You got through three quarters. You had some players out there that got some work in. There's enough tape and enough film that you were able to compile that you could get a little bit of feel for some of these guys for. You know what? Cut your losses and move on to next week. Remember, these are the only two teams anyway that have to play that extra preseason game. And you know that they don't want to. You think the Jets or the Browns actually wanted to play that game last night? Of course not. All these teams and coaches and players, they don't want to have any preseason games. In a perfect world, they would just love to get right to the regular season. The big thing for these clubs right now are these joint scrimmages that they conduct during training camp. Like the Jets are going to go down to Carolina this week for a couple of days in scrimmage before the game next weekend. Giants are going to go to Detroit for a couple of days, practice with the Lions before they get on the field. Later on uh, next week, the Buccaneers are coming up here for a couple of days to practice with the Jets before – they play their real game there on the weekend. That's where they feel like they can get quality work. I mean, let's be honest. The only reason there's still preseason football is because it's a television vehicle. And there's a lot of money still to be made in TV in the National Football League, even if it's preseason. But, okay, what did we see last night? Well, Zach Wilson started the game, right? And you're probably going to see a lot of Zach Wilson here in the month of August. Because I would be very surprised if Aaron Rodgers even sees the field at all. It's been five years since Aaron Rodgers last took a snap in the preseason. And he only took like a handful of them that year with the Packers. All right? Aaron Rodgers knows what the hell he's doing. So it is going to be a heavy dose of Zach Wilson, of Tim Boyle, Chris Drevler, just like you saw last night for the Jets under center here in August. What did you see from Zach? Well, three series. Three for five, 65 yards off the top of my head, if I'm not mistaken. He had that one big catch and throw there to Malik Taylor. Good play. He had another one on that third down where he tried to scramble for the first down. He fleed, He fl- tried to flee the pocket, got tripped up there by the turf monster, went down. And then he had the other one on third down that it got batted down at the line of scrimmage. Okay, some good, some bad. Didn't commit a turnover, though. That's number one, okay? He was able to play mistake-free football. Number two, he didn't go get himself hurt like he did in the preseason opener last year where he failed to run out of bounds in Philadelphia, you remember, and he kind of made that awkward, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, to the ground, and he messed up his knee, and that cost him the first few weeks of the regular season. But I'm here to tell you, and I'm not going to tell you Bill of Goods as to, you know, this guy is a completely different quarterback, and he's, you know, night and day what he was last year in the whole nine yards, and Aaron Rodgers is rubbing off on him, and blah, 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 blah. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you that. But what I will tell you, okay, because Greg and I were talking about it while we were watching the game last night. You didn't see as much happy feet in the pocket. And if you've watched Zach Wilson in the first couple of years of his career, I mean, obviously he has a tendency to do that or had a tendency to do that, just like a lot of young quarterbacks do. But last night he looked a little bit more poised, a little bit more in control, and that's what you want to see. Because, you know what, if you don't have that part, the mechanics, if you don't have that straightened out as a quarterback, it's not going to get you very far. And we know that he's had his share of struggles in the first two years of his career. So maybe that is something that you want to see moving forward. Izzy Abanaconda, it's a name we've thrown out from time to time here so far in the first couple of weeks of camp. Scores a touchdown, fifth round pick out of Pittsburgh, showing you some nice burst. He has home run hitter ability. Okay, I've mentioned this before. This is a guy who last year, when he was still playing for Pittsburgh, he set the school franchise record for single game rushing yards. He ran for like 300 and something yards in that game and six touchdowns. All right, the guy's got some burst. And last night when he was taking that run and cut it to the outside and got in the end zone, all right, that's what you'd like to see. Now, granted, all of this was against second-teamers, third-teamers, yes. But you still have to go out there and execute, and he shows that he has that ability. It was good enough to get him drafted. Now, is what he showed you last night enough to make Joe Douglas and company say, well, you know what, maybe we don't have to go as all out to get Dalvin Cook? I don't know. Only they can answer those questions. But remember, you're talking to the person who doesn't even really think that Dalvin Cook – is a necessity for the Jets. It's a luxury more than anything else. I thought Joe Tipman held up well last night. The second-round pick out of Wisconsin, the center. And why was it important for Joe Tittman? Because Joe Tittman was essentially running with the threes all throughout training camp. Joe Tittman, I don't think, had taken a snap with Aaron Rodgers all throughout training camp so far. So the fact that he started, the fact that he played, and he played pretty well. You go back and watch some of the cut-ups of him on film, he really held up well, regardless of what string player he was going up against there with the Cleveland Browns. And you saw a little bit of Will McDonalds, as a matter of fact, too. The first-round pick showed you that burst ability, that speed, that agility, that twitch, as is the new term that they like to use to describe these pass rushers. And the thing that's cool about the rookie class this year for the Jets, and a few of them that I just mentioned, this is a first time in Lord knows how long where you're looking at these high draft choices, and they're not expected to come in there this year, or at least you don't need them to come in there this year and absolutely make a significant contribution. It would be nice if they did, but you're not relying on these guys to go out there and be like major, major players. Because take Will McDonald, for example. Look at the depth on the Jet defensive line. They got enough dudes up there. They got enough pro or they got enough dudes that it's gonna be hard to find playing time for all of them. And It's going to make the coaching staff and Joe Douglas and his staff's decisions really, really difficult at the end of camp to see who stays and who goes. And don't you think that there's going to be other general managers calling the Jets at the end of training camp to try to get their hands on one of these guys? You saw Bryce Huff again last night make a big play. Bryce Huff is a guy, you know, you use all the analytics, the metrics, the data. He's like one of the top pass rushers in the league, but the guy can't get on the field consistently because of the talent the Jets have. Jermaine Johnson's going to take a huge leap in year number two, I feel. He has had an outstanding camp. He reported to camp bigger, stronger. Now the game is a little bit slower for him. Throw in, you got Quinn and Williams. You got John Franklin Myers. Carl Lawson, a year removed from his injury, is going to come back a little bit healthier now and could go out there and be a double-digit sack guy for you. They have so many dudes on that defensive line. So a guy like McDonald could just pick his spots, be a situational rusher, and contribute when he's asked. So I think they're in a good place right now when you're talking about the defensive line. And look, the question more than anything else is with the O-line. Right now you're asking me one preseason game in the books as we start to turn our attention to that next preseason game against the Carolina Panthers in week number two, getting closer to the start of the season. Hey, what's the biggest question mark for this football team? It's the offensive line still. Right, And last night, you hoped you saw enough from Makai Becton to where you could feel a little bit more confident about what he could potentially give you this year. Well, he was supposed to play 20 to 25 snaps. He played seven. He played seven snaps, and then he played a few on special teams. Why? Well, because that knee was giving him some issues again. And we'll talk about this when we return. And I want to hear from you at 800 is the telephone number. And in case you missed it, Greg Buttle last night in our postgame show said something really, really interesting about the situation involving Beckton's knee. And Greg, of course, a former player, had a similar type of knee issue himself. And you heard Robert Saleh after the game reference the fact that, you know, Becton was, was dealing with his confidence last night. Not confidence to go out there and play football to line up and play tackle. No, the confidence in the knee and how will it could hold up. Greg had some interesting things to say, and I'm going to play that for you when we return. Plus your phone calls. We'll get into all the baseball stuff as well. It's Grasse for you here on a Friday night. We get this thing started next on 98.7 ESPN.
1: I'm a Yerkes Dodson fan.
0: This is the Dan Grasse Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> Well, one thing that hasn't changed with the Yankees, they still have a Luis Severino problem. He couldn't even get out of the first inning unscathed. His Yainer Diaz connects on a three-run blast off of Seve. So 3-0 Astros, and the Yanks are behind the eight ball yet again with Severino. With that home run, by the way, his ERA jumps up to a balmy 7.82. And look, yeah, he does. And you know what? He said the other day after his last start that he's the worst pitcher in the league. He's not too far off. As a matter of fact, he just might be. And, you know... One of the trickle-down effects of Domingo Herman now being off getting help for the problems he's having is that Luis Severino's got to be in this rotation, right? There was a little bit of at least intrigue as to when Nestor is ready to come back, which is going to be here this weekend, who's going to be the fall guy? Who's the one that's going to maybe get shipped out? Well, now with Herman gone, that's the answer. So oh, Severino's got to pick it up. got to pick it up. And this isn't good enough. I mean, he's so bad right now that Steve Cohen probably would just buy him out, need his contract for the rest of the year, and send him off to the funny farm. That's it. Boy, he has been terrible. Anyway, talking Jets, preseason game number one in the books, and we were talking about Mekhi Becton because, look, I'd love to be able to sit here on August the 4th and tell you just exactly what the front office, what the organization, what the coaching staff really thinks deep down about Mekhi Beckton. I think that they've offered some hints over the last couple of years. I think that they want it to work out, but how confident are they that it'll actually happen? Well, that's a whole different story. Because I think in a perfect world, if everybody was healthy and raring to go and you had Dwayne Brown back out there on the field, I mean, Mekhi Becton would probably be running with the twos right now. Because he has not displayed the ability to stay on the football field, and that's a problem. And even though I'm not going to push too big of a panic button after last night, the fact that, you know, it was only seven snaps and whatnot, here was the head coach, Robert Sala, last night, why Becton only was in there for seven plays. We just
1: want to make sure that we're doing right by him. Again, this is all about confidence for him, you know, and if he's got any doubt in it at any time, you know, we're going to be cautious. Um, And uh, so just from communication between him and the trainers, uh, there must have been a little – and I'll find out more. But uh, there was a, uh, just probably a little confidence issue. But he's not – you know, you saw him go in there for a field goal. Uh, so he's, he's fine. It's just, again, he's got to build confidence in that thing and be able to push through um, whatever he might be feeling.
0: So it's a confidence issue. Nothing more, nothing less. You hope. And everything is structurally okay. Everything is in there, and he's got to learn how to fight through it. Now, Greg Buttle, my partner, of course – on the Jets pre and post game show. you darn tootin'. Darn tootin', that's right. Former Jet linebacker, of course. He suffered a knee injury early on in his NFL career. And he had to go through the same things that Becton is dealing with right now, just in terms of feeling comfortable on that leg. Here's how Greg described his own experience last night in our post game show
1: you have a knee injury and what happens you rehab it and you can remember how it was done to you and you can remember the pain that you had and you remember all of these things how do you overcome that you go out on the field and now you're going to play and there are times where you just think of every time you step on your leg and your knee bends a little you're thinking it's hurting you and what it does is it's like breaking up some scar tissue maybe so it's not really hurting you or i should say it's hurting you it's not injuring you and so you've got to get past that one part and i'll tell you. When I came back from my knee injury, I was in preseason, and the first thing out there is I were playing the Raiders, and this one guy tries to cut me, and he just nips my knee, and of course, I collapse right away, just I'm thinking I wrecked my knee again. So I limp off the field. I get over there, and the orthopedic surgeon says, what's the matter? I go, I I think I wrecked my knee again. Really? All right, so sit down. So he checks my knee. He goes, nothing wrong with your knee. There isn't? He says, no, it's in your head. I go, it's in my head. I didn't get hit in the head. He goes, no, no, no. You think it does because you feel it and you feel that more than anything. Just block it out and go play football and forget about your name. And that's what I did.
0: And that's what Makai Beckton is going to have to do, right? I mean, I mean, you think about it. The last two years, the guys played a half of football. A half. Half of one game. Not like half the games. A half of one game he has got to play now. Remember what happened in 2021 in that opener in Carolina? That was the game he got injured on, or got injured in. There was a thought after they did the diagnosis and everything that he could come back at some point that season. So he had a knee; he had a procedure done on the knee. And it wasn't a season-ending one. It wasn't the major, like, reconstructive surgery. He had a procedure done that you thought would allow him to be able to return. I think they said, you know, if you talked about, like, the long range, it was going to be in the eight-week type of range. Well, eight weeks came and went, and he never came back. Why? Well, because during the rehab or whatever, he just never got himself in shape to come play football to where he felt comfortable enough. You know, maybe put some weight on in the process, which is not good for a knee trying to hold up with all that extra weight. So, never came back in 2021. Then he goes out there in 2022. They switch him over to right tackle because Dwayne Brown is here. And now that right knee, which was the one that he had the surgery on, that's his outside knee. That's his plant knee, which is the one that's going to incur most of the strain when you're playing the position. And what happened? re again in training camp, and then he had to have the major surgery to where now he's still not comfortable on it a year later. So this is the reality. And I, for one, th- and look, he put himself in good shape, lost a lot of weight, got himself ready to play football this year. And I thought that he would have, and I still think that he's going to have a good year for this football team because he don't have a contract next year. Remember, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. This is it for him, and it's not just for the Jets. It's for any other team in the NFL. Do you think that there's going to be one of the other 31 teams that's going to sit there and offer a guy who hasn't played a lot of football in two and maybe three years at this point? Who knows? So he has to go out there and perform, and you hope, and if you're a Jet fan, you hope that he can because we know that he's extremely talented, and he can be a really, really good player. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Let us say Hi. Started off with our good buddy, Iron Staten Island. He's first up here on 9870SPN. Hello, Ira. How are you?
2: Hey, it's all well, good, Dan, and it uh, was good to get one in the books last night, and I think he hit it right on, you know, some individual stuff to look at after a game like that. Um, I, I tell you, and at least for camp, Zieri Barnes has really opened my eyes. It'll be interesting to see what the coaches really think of him and if they give him a shot this year, but I think, I think he's got a really good camp. But as for the Beckton conversation, I'm right on the morning because I had my knee issues when I played college basketball. And once you heard it, it's all, it is all up in your head. Now, whether that's Beckton's situation, who knows? The doctors know, the coaches know, so, you know. I certainly don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But the, the thing that what worries me the most is his track record. And I want this guy to succeed. It's just every time I just think about it, I mean, what do I fall back on? And feel comfortable that this guy's going to get it right, you know, whether it's mentally or healthily or stay healthy. And that's what concerns me the most. And you look at the tackle position. If Brown comes and Lawrence Burns back, and then you have Mitchell and you got Turner and, and you got the kid from Pitt they drafted, where does really Beckton fit into that situation?
0: It's a good question. It's a good question, and you know something? I, I, I think that they actually do reward and are actually going to give preference to guys that are actually there. Like, for example, they like Max Mitchell a lot. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they really like Max Mitchell a lot. And, look, Ira, I was as shocked as anybody last year that he was the opening day right tackle. I I was stunned. And you know what? As the season went on, he held up pretty well until he ultimately had some issues there with the the, the blood clots. And it's good to see that he's back out on the football field playing here. But they like the depth that they have. They brought Turner in because he's familiar with the system. He played in Green Bay, played with Hackett in Denver last year. So they feel they're in a good place. And even though ideally they don't necessarily want to go there, you know this, that in a pinch – They could also kick AVT out to tackle as well because he's proven he could play that position. I think they like where they're at, but I think they're in the best possible position if Becton can play.
2: Right. No, I would agree with you. And to Zach, and I've been very critical, you know, as he played his first two years. Um, And you saw it last night for, you know, just a couple of plays. And if you saw it in camp, his footwork is better. Now, how that translates into, like, real life action, who knows? Hopefully we don't see it. You want Rodgers to take every snap. But I'm not saying Zach could be the quarterback three or four years from now, but he certainly has improved from the situation he was when he finished last season. Yeah, last season. yeah
0: and, and Ira, here's the thing, and I thank you for the phone call as always. It's It's dangerous to sit here and get too carried away over preseason, right? Because remember his rookie year in the preseason? He looked great. He looked great, spinning the ball all over the field. Remember that game in Green Bay against the Packers on that Saturday afternoon when Aaron Rodgers didn't play, but he was out there, and everybody that talked that there was, oh, Jets might have another Aaron Rodgers on their hands, another Aaron Rodgers. He can make these off-platform throws like Aaron Rodgers, blah, 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 blah. But you just want to see, hate to use the term, but you almost want to see baby steps, right? Because maybe he's a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more free. See, last year, look, His season was interrupted because of the injury in preseason. So he fought to get back into the lineup. And look, I don't know how healthy he was when he played. Maybe he was good enough, but maybe he wasn't 100%. But anyway, he played. It wasn't perfect, but the Jets were winning games. And then ultimately it came a point where, you know, he was making mistakes. And the Jets weren't winning games. And so they sent him to the bench. And then they put Mike White in. And Mike White got hurt again. So then Zach had to come back in and play. And look, everybody remembers what happened. The Mike F. and white T-shirts, how that whole locker room rallied around the backup. And so he went in there trying to reclaim his job back and trying to keep this team on their playoff push, knowing that, you know, maybe I don't have the support of the entire locker room. The locker room wants the other guy to play. So maybe that was in his head a little bit while he was out there just trying to play football and all the thinking and all the processing, worrying about doing your job, and then you have the stuff where you're looking over your shoulder. There was a lot going on with him. So maybe this year, A, he's healthy. B, he doesn't have to worry about looking over his shoulder because he knows that he's not the guy now. You got a first ballot Hall of Famer who's the guy. His so-called favorite quarterback growing up that could hopefully serve as a mentor to him. And he could just go out there, play free, play easy, and not have to worry about leading a football team of 53 guys. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Adam in Jersey, up next here on 98.7 ESPN. What's up, Adam?
2: Good. How you doing? What's up, Adam? What's up? I'm good. How you doing? You hear me?
0: I hear you loud and clear. Let's go. Yeah.
3: All right. So, like you said, um, The Jets' D-line is deep, like you said, and we don't know how much time McDonald would have. So, or we'll get, I mean. So, my question is, why did the Jets even draft him? If you're filled in all positions like they are, maybe not all-line, why don't you just get the best on the board, which is probably, you know, Christian Gonzalez. I know they have DJ Reed and Sauce, but, you know, build up for defensive future. Oh, why not add to the O-line? I'm just, I'm pretty skeptical of
2: the McDonald pick, and I feel like they could have been better.
0: Well, Adam, here's the thing, and I thank you for the phone call. Sometimes when you draft, and maybe even a lot of times when you draft, you're thinking about big picture. You're thinking two, three steps down the road. The Jets have assembled a roster right now where, like I said, they don't need a first-round pick to come in and play right away and be an every-down starter for them. Last year was a different story. Remember, they had three first round picks last year. Sauce came in as an every day or an every down corner. Garrett Wilson was drafted to come in and be a starting wide receiver. Then they had that third first round pick, Jermaine Johnson, not as much urgency. They brought him in in spurts, situational pass rusher. The thing about Will McDonald and why they took him, guys, Carl Lawson might not be on this team next year. If I'm not mistaken, this is it for him with his contract this season. Remember, there was some doubt as to whether or not Carl Lawson would be on the team this year if the Jets would have to make him take a pay cut. But it's good that he's still here. Right now in a perfect world, the way they're mapping this thing out next year, so what year is that, 2024? I's got a feeling 2024, week one, your bookend starting defensive ends are going to be Jermaine Johnson and Will McDonald. And I don't know if Carl Lawson's going to be here. That's why you draft the guy. If there's talent, you like him, you think he's going to be a damn good player, you scoop him up. And he could get a slow introduction into the league, not have to play every single down, and then next year, boom, hit the ground running. I'm telling you guys, watch out for Jermaine Johnson this year in year two. He is going to be a beast. Could feel it. All right, 800-919-3776. We come back. We'll get into the Yankees situation because I'll, I'll throw the question out there. Yankees have a pulse? I know the game tonight hasn't started great, but like last couple of games, they have a pulse again, and we'll get into the whole mess with Anthony Rizzo as well. Grasse till ten right here on ninety eight point
1: seven ESPN. That's a confirmation situation. It's confirmation. Okay? This
0: is the Dan Grasser Show on ninety eight point seven ESPN. So the Yankees, we told you, they're in a little bit of an early hole tonight in the Bronx, three nothing. Against the Houston Astros, Yainer Diaz connecting on a three-run blast off of Luis Severino in that first inning, which, you know, isn't all that surprising when you consider. um, According to uh, Katie Sharp, who puts out all these great tweets on social media about the Yankees specifically, Severino was allowed uh, his first inning ERA. Is thirteen point eight five, which is the highest among all pitchers this season with ten or more starts. You know his ERA and the other innings ain't all that great either. Too is as the Astros now have the bases loaded with one out in the second. So it just I mean the hits just keep on coming. And we were talking about this during the break too. He, he's obviously he's obviously not the same guy he was before the Tommy John surgery. But Tommy John surgery is not supposed to be a death sentence to a pitcher. It's not. You know, there have been plenty of guys. I mean, look at Justin Verlander, for example. He had the Tommy John a couple of years ago. He comes back the next year. He wins the Cy Young Award at the age of, you know, almost 40. You are supposed to be able to rebound from that. But he has just not been the same guy. And I think it's a variety of things. And this year, I think the other thing that has kind of gotten into his head a little bit is the fact that he's pitching for a contract. I mean, it's human nature. I think all of us would be a little bit uneasy from time to time if we were sitting there having a sing for our supper. And every single day that we went to work, we knew that maybe our future hinged upon it, right? He doesn't have the luxury of a long-term contract at this point. But the stuff is just not the same as it used to be. You know, it's flattening out way too often. He doesn't hit the radar gun with the fastball like he used to. And hitters are teeing off on it. Now the question is for a Yankee team that has designs on going to the postseason, remember, Got to be in it. We're in it to win it. Those are the GM's words, not mine. We're in it to win it. For a team like that, can you realistically send this guy out there and give him the baseball once every five days? Because the word or the phrase that I like to use to describe Luis Severino right now is that he's non competitive. When he takes the mound, he's non competitive. Mets have a guy like that. He pitched yesterday in Kansas City. His name is Carlos Carrasco. He's non competitive. And the Mets aren't trying to win this year. They made that quite clear. So maybe they can make peace with giving the ball to Carrasco once every five days because, you know, you don't feel good about your chances. But with the Yankees, that's why that Herman thing, whether you like them, whether you don't like them, this hurts the ball club this year, and it hurts their chances of going to the playoffs. Now, look, you know that I've had my doubts about this Yankee team all year. And, yes, I understand why they did what they did or didn't do with the deadline because I didn't think that they had a lot of flexibility. I think they were kind of backed into a corner. But when they woke up this morning, and even as you and I are having this conversation right now, they're two back in the loss column from a wild card. And Severino now hits Alex Bregman to bring in the fourth run of the game. Oy, oy. Exactly, Gregory. You're two back in the loss column of a playoff spot. It's not like you have 17 other teams to leapfrog to get that wild card. The only team that's between the Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays who have the last spot are the Boston Red Sox. And the Yanks are only a half game behind them. Now, the Yankees can't beat Boston, but that's neither here nor there. You're two back, and you have a lot of games still to play. You got 50-plus games. And the last two days, I think that you can actually show some encouragement. All right, you salvage the finale against Tampa Bay, fine. You come back last night, and look, I even though we were locked in on the Jets last night, I was really impressed by that game. Right. Stanton's showing you signs that maybe just maybe he could be coming out of this a little bit over the last couple of days. Right. Clark Schmidt was very solid again last night. I'll tell you, Clark Schmidt, he's gone up in my book this year. I don't know where that book is. I can't find it. But you know what? If there was a book, Clark Schmidt, he would be, you know, a little moving up in it, especially towards the front of that book. He's impressed me this season. I like his metal. I like his demeanor. You know, he battles out there on the mound. Some of these other guys, like what I'm watching right now, they just don't battle. Clark Schmidt shows you that. Anthony Volpe had a big knock last night, which is nice to see for him. Anything you can get from Volpe is good moving forward because it's about the big picture with him. And they blew a lead last night, and then they got the lead right back at the end and won the, and won the ball game. But now tonight, it's just it, it, it sucks the life out of you. It sucks the life out of you because now this is going to be a problem for the remainder of the season. Okay, this is the 110th game of the season for the Yankees. So that means what? You got 50 including tonight, 53 more games. Do the math. 5 divided by 53, that means a starting pitcher is probably prone to get 10 more starts if you stick to a strict five-man rotation. Can you as a Yankee fan stomach Luis Severino 10 more times this year? Can the Yankees as a ball club Survive Luis Severino, make it 10 more starts this year. Like I said, the margin for error is so slim right now. It's a two-game margin. That's what separates you from being in the playoffs right now, and you're going to give the ball to this guy 10 more times after what you've seen? That's where you lose me. Noah's in Brooklyn. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Noah, how are you? Dan, how are you, my brother? Noah. I'm doing outstanding, not as good as you, though. I already know that for a fact.
3: I, I, I think you're doing better because I finally found out what you look like when you were on with
0: uh, Don
3: a couple of weeks ago, and you're not only brilliant,
0: but you're handsome. Noah, so I, you know something? Look, I could sit here and brag about all those things, but I don't think anybody wants to hear it. I mean, you're, you're speaking. Noah, you know what you're doing? You're dropping truth bombs tonight. That's what you're doing. That's all I do.
3: That's all I've, got do. Yeah. I've got two points. I've got two points. I want to make an analogy that I keep making on Twitter, and I'll make it with you now, that in the world of MLB with the Yankees, when everybody keeps saying they have to get younger, more athletic, and quicker, the front office needs to do that as well. The front office operates as well as Stanton runs. And he he is the perfect picture, as well as Josh Donaldson hits, as well as the medical staff takes care of the bodies of the Yankee players. That's an abject failure by the front office to all the players that they've treated like this. and They're continuing to go on in our fan, the fan. And they move horribly. They have no plan B. And they did not get a left fielder. That's just professional malfeasance.
0: You're not wrong. How do you do that? You're not wrong. And, And you know what? The left field situation is something that they still haven't figured out here. And Noah, thank you for the phone call very much and all the kind words. Look, I mean, Brian, we could sit here and do three hours, five days a week, about the flaws with this Yankee team and how it's been put together and then open up a whole can of worms about the general manager and why he's been allowed to keep his job for 25 years and on and on and on and on and on. All valid points, by the way. And, and, and look, I'm curious to see. Like, Look, if you're asking me right now on August the 4th, 53 more games to play this season. You're in a 4 nothing hole. You got a pitcher who's non-competitive once out of every five days. Do I think the Yankees are making the playoffs? No. And by the way, let me say this too, and I should have mentioned this at the outset. I got to be honest with you. I love the people that I work with that I work for. I do. Love them as if they're family. And I think that that's reciprocated. All my gigs, not just here at ESPN, the Jets and, and you know, MSG, everybody. Love them. Love him. But I wish I could get the same work schedule combined with the rate of pay that Aaron Judge gets from the New York Yankees. Paying this guy $362 million. He was just out for two months, and he needs another day off again tonight because he DH'd a couple of days in a row. I mean, are you kidding me? These are important games. I mean, You're trying to understand the logic. You would think that the Yankees have a 10-game lead in the division right now. And if they did, I could understand it. Right? But the Yankees are the ones that are trying to play catch-up right now. You gave the guy $362 million. Don't you want him in the lineup? Don't you think your chances of winning and producing are better when he is in the lineup? Enough with this being cautious crap. He's a professional athlete. He's not going to go out there and re-injure his toe to where you're going to have to amputate it or something. He's a big boy. He'll be fine. It's baseball. I, 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 I can't figure it out. You got the Chicago White Sox that you're playing on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. You know how bad the Chicago White Sox are? The Mets beat the Chicago White Sox in a series. That's how bad the White Sox are. Sit them for all three games in Chicago if you have to. But not against Tampa Bay, not against Houston. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. 800 919 3776. Grasso with you, 9870 ESPN. And you're not only brilliant,
3: but you're handsome.